Call from mom. Answer it. Call silenced. Instacart knows nothing gets between you and the game. That's why they make ordering from your couch easy. Stock up today and get all your groceries for the week delivered in as fast as 30 minutes without missing a minute of the game. You have 47 new voicemails. Download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. KMOX is at your service. Welcome to the St. Louis Composting Garden Hotline, sponsored by Allen's Tree Service. Now, here's your host, Mike Miller on KMOX. Yes, folks, welcome. Mr. Kelly, before you get out of here, is your home one of the homes without any power? Nope, we oh. should be okay. Okay, good. Yeah. Do you have a hear. generator as a backup? No, we don't. <gasps> we just snuggle because it's National Snuggle Day. Oh. Yeah, so, so we would just snuggle. Of course, okay. I'm not there, so. Hmm. How's that going to work? I don't know. You have any dogs? I got to go home. Uh-oh. No, See we ya. don't. We don't have dogs or cats or any of that good stuff. Nothing? No. Squirrels? Oh, yeah, some squirrels, a lot so of birds. you can invite the squirrels in. Yeah, we could. We right. could. You know, I saw a stink bug this morning. Where? On an. This is funny. I open up, so I left the apple I didn't eat yesterday in my lunch bag. I open up the lunch bag. He's on my apple. What? Yeah, he's outside now. <laughs> he's really, he, I don't think he's happy. He don't invite caught. me over to your house, please. How, how, how can you have stink <laughs> bugs at this time of year? You can't. Oh, we do. Oh. Yeah. You live in a very interesting home. Uh, yeah, you can say that. <laughs> That's the nicest thing you've ever said to me. Well, we used to have ant farms and stuff. Maybe uh, you guys got We used to have a lot of ants. We don't have as many anymore. Right. But yeah. Right. Yeah. You got callers. They want to talk plants. <laughs> <laughs> what? <laughs> uh, folks, welcome and thanks for stopping by. I'll be taking the good gardening stroll shortly. If you have any questions or concerns, 314 314- 436-7900 or 1-800-925-1120. We get together on Saturday morning and we discuss your yard, your landscape, your vegetable garden, your herb garden, your house plants, using potting mixes, how to improve your soil, how to make your plants grow better, look healthier, be more aesthetically appealing, when to do the pruning, what is a bug, what is a disease, what is a stink bug, and why is it in your lunch bag? Oh, my goodness gracious, was that a horrible story? I wish I hadn't heard that. I'll never have the same impression of Brian Kelly again. Uh, but remember, my words are strictly open opportunities. Afterwards, it's going to take work on your part, mental and physical, both. It's a great marathon out there, and wow. Speaking of marathon, on my way in today, there was somebody out there jogging. So I guess he was probably a marathon runner or something. I mean, he had the whole outfit on, but he had one of those hood things where just his eyes looked through. So it must have been cold. No, I know it was cold. But remember, thanks for having me on your show, and I appreciate you being there here. And thanks to Greg. He's producing again today. I'm Mike Miller. I've been hosting the Garden Hotline since 1994. I've authored five gardening books. Two are currently available in various locations, and I write articles for the Missouri Gardener magazine. It's a bi-monthly magazine that's, you know, really kind of unique. It's focused with authors strictly from the state of Missouri. My column's at the very last page. I can't believe they put me on the last page. It's terrible. But anyway, and during the week, I do uh, landscape consulting. If you'd like for me to come over and do a walk and talk, you can go to my website, MikeMillerDesigns.com. The homepage is where my email address and phone number is. 
And the Good Gardening Stroll page is where I do the monthly updates. And the other couple pages, I've kind of let them crumble. I just got bored with it. Anyway, that's how you can reach me. And uh, we can just set up a time before I can come out to your home. Today, the Good Gardening Stroll is brought to you by St. Louis Composting. It steps off right now. Down the street, Christie Boulevard, Kings Highway North, East, went past Arsenal. Then left into Tower Grove Park. Along the driveway, ah, wow, the streetlights in Tower Grove Park have historic reverence for me. They're the old, the columns are the concrete ones, which were back from the, I guess, made in the 40s or maybe even before that. But when my family, before we moved to Ellisville, we lived on Flad. And, uh, there, you know, that was the streetlights then. And I remember I had an itchy back, so I pulled my shirt up and I tried to scratch my back on a concrete <laughs> Concrete lamppost, that wasn't so smart. I learned a lesson very quickly. But uh, anyway, enough of that. And as I pulled into Tower Grove Park, it was, you know, it was just kind of neat. It was very tranquil, still very, very, very dark. But I got to the center area and the American flag, it was waving in this chilly breeze. And then I went over to the Grand Basin area and uh, the frozen pond. There was footprints on the edge, but the fountain was still cascading down. And uh, there was a 10-inch or so caliper, weeping cherry tree standing there, and its stance was perfect for the way this weather has been. The bandstand and the benches remind you that there will be music and places to sit later on when the weather warms up, which is going to come up, you know, kind of soon. Music-wise, no, but just sitting around the park and everything else, what could be better? The sky was starting to lighten up just enough where the evergreen trees, the spruces, junipers, and pines were really starting to pop out. And uh, there was a slight amount of traffic that cuts through the park. And the park ranger, his pickup truck headed down, and I guess he was checking out to see who was there and what was going on. Some of the older trees, past their prime, have been heavily pruned, so I guess they're probably ready to be taken down, would be my guess. And Henry Shell's old historic orangery, the greenhouse there. Oh, can you imagine this gentleman that came here and had such a huge impact on the St. Louis region? You know, the Missouri Botanical Garden, which used to be everybody called Shaw's Garden. And then Tower Grove Park, where he built this greenhouse just so he could have orange trees, so he could have some citrus during the winter time. And uh, the old orangery, sometimes it's filled with party people, sometimes it's brunches and everything else. But uh, Tower Grove Park always brings, you know, just it's a neat place because his, you know, that's the area when I was first born. Well, not when I was first born. We lived in the central west end, but when I went to kindergarten and half of first grade, we lived in that neighborhood and always has a nice feel to me. Mike Miller, KMOX Garden Hotline, back after these messages. Welcome back to the St. Louis Composting Garden Hotline with Mike Miller, sponsored by Allen's Tree Service on KMOX. Yes, folks, any questions, concerns, or comments, 314-436-7900 or 1-800-925-1120. I don't know what Tracy and I were watching last night, but uh, somebody said the ground is now frozen down one foot deep. That seems a little extreme. Now, I might go home today and just take my shovel out and see if my yard is frozen down to a foot. I mean, that's pretty darn low. So that's why you're not seeing too much activity with any kind of moles or that kind of stuff. But even if it wasn't frozen a foot deep, that seems... I mean, we've had cold, yes, but uh, whoa... 
Let's go to South County and see what's going on in Frank's yard. Hi, Frank. Good morning, Michael. Uh, I have two questions. The first has to do with watering uh, plants. I've always held the belief that rainwater is more beneficial than using faucet water. Uh, I have a couple of uh, rain barrels, and I fill old-fashioned uh, sprinkling cans with that in the summer and water my container plants with that. Uh, am I wasting my time, or is this really more beneficial? Well, if you have really well-drained potting mix that you're growing, you know, your containerized plants, um, it's probably a little bit, you know, if you like to do it, that's fine. What it is is obviously if you're drinking water, it has more chemicals in it. But uh, those chemicals, I don't think, are really all that adverse to most plant materials. Now, some of them may have some impact, but uh, there's nothing wrong with doing that. It's just, you know, if you don't mind, you know, the caring and everything else, that's great. Okay. Second question. Uh, I have a couple of spider plants. Uh, bought them from a reputable nursery uh, last year. They've oh, at least doubled in size. Mm -hmm. One of them is shooting out the little uh, miniature plants on the offshoots. Right. The other one is not. I'm wondering why. Uh, who, you know, there's probably no really explanation of it. If they're both the same, you know, same size, everything, same exposure and everything else, mm -hmm. it's just one you know, was triggered a little bit more to do it than the other one. So. Is there a possibility that it may produce shoots later? Oh, sure. Oh, good. Okay. Yeah, so you don't really, you know, necessarily have to worry about it. Probably, and also, if you stick them outside, I don't know if you do that in the sun when the weather warms up. I uh, I got tired of moving plants in and out, and I find that if I leave my indoor plants indoor, they do just fine. Uh, in and out, I don't know. I've had uh, adverse effects. Well, I would the one that has not produced any, let's say, baby spiders. Uh, I would take that one out at least for a month or so and see if that can trigger it. Uh, do they take direct sunlight or no? Not? Okay, good. Okay. Definitely not. Yeah, where they are now is like in a bay window. They get a lot of bright light, but no sunlight at all. Right. And okay. you know that's fine. I mean, they're native habitat. They're, I mean, they're more or less ground covers. So. Oh, I did not know that. Yeah. And that's how they, they sort of fill in areas because they send out those shoots, which will root, and then you know that roots, and then that will send out more shoots, and it just keeps going and going and going. Hey, thank you very much. Certainly. And uh, I admire you for doing the rain barrels. And the rain barrels, I guess, and when it gets this cold, you put your rain barrels inside. You don't want those things to, you know, if there's water in them, to freeze and explode. Uh, let's go now to Troy, Missouri, and that's where Florence lives. Hi, Florence. Good morning, Mike. Hi. Um, I received a Norfolk Island uh, pine uh, for a Christmas present, and I know nothing about them. Um, it, they have instructions to fertilize monthly 20-20-20. Now, what is the ingredients there? Basically, it's any number on a fertilizer. First number is nitrogen, second number is phosphorus, and the third number is potassium. So I, that seems a little extreme to me. I would not do that, and I certainly would not fertilize any house plant unless it's in flower in the wintertime. So basically from the end of, you know, let's say October even, all the way until the days really start getting much longer until March, no fertilizer on anything because you could be forcing some growth. The daylight length is not right for it. And especially with a fertilizer with those high numbers, that's a, you know, I would have a tendency to have my numbers lower than 20, 20, 20. My tendency would be like 
555 or something along that line. Or just go to your favorite garden center and get a houseplant food for because it is a pine and it is from Norfolk, which is down by basically Australia, New Zealand. You want an acid-based fertilizer. So get, to, you know, like a Scott's or, you know, let's say Peter's or any kind of fertilizer for acid-loving plants and just use that. And use it even during the growing season, half the label rate. So if it says put a tablespoon in a gallon of water, you know, just put half, just put a teaspoon. Okay. Now, um, my daughter was telling me that she has seen people grow them inside the house as a house plant. Right. Uh, rather than sitting them outside. Yeah, they won't. In the summertime, they can stay outside, but they are not hardy for our winters. They cannot grow outside. And just just as it grows, put it in a larger pot? Yeah, but I would say leave it. I don't know what size pot it's in now. I don't know what size it is, but leave it in that pot for at least a couple years. It's about uh, maybe six inches across the top of the pot. So, I mean, I would leave it there until you start seeing the roots coming out of the drainage holes in the bottom. And then repot it to a bigger size pot, but only one inch bigger. People have a tendency to over, let's say, compensate by putting their plants in extremely large pots, thinking, well, I'll never have to do, you know, fool around with this again. But a lot of times the plants can't acclimate, the root systems can't. So when they do that, it sends a plant downhill very, very quickly. Now, it looks like um, this has more than one plant in the pot. <laughs> yeah, that's, just leave it, you know, again, just leave it alone. Don't try to separate them. Don't do anything at all. And with the Norfolk Island pine, it's not exactly an easy plant for a house plant. Make sure you put it in a very, very bright window, but anticipate the possibilities that some of the lower branches may start turning brown because it came to you from a greenhouse or from a florist or something like that where the growing medium or the growing circumstance was a lot better than you're probably going to have in your home. So the plant's going to go, ooh, and so then you can anticipate some of the lower branches dying off. It may not happen, but it could. I have it in a south window. Great. Okay, thank you. Yep, and don't overwater it either. So don't over-fertilize, don't over-water. Those are the, you know, and if it starts to, you know, let's say look wilted, just leave it alone, if, especially if you've recently watered because wilting sometimes means you've watered too much and then consequently the root systems have been diminished because of, let's say, too much moisture drowning and then they don't recover so well. So thanks, Florence, and let's see if we can go to Richard, who's calling in from his car. Hi, Richard. Hello, Mike. Um, I'm interested in milkweed, how to start it, uh, how tall it gets, and uh, what would be a minimum plot that would be effective. As far as, you know, for attracting butterflies and things like that, there's a couple different varieties of milkweed. There's a vine type and there's a stem type. Probably if you really want to have, it needs to be in full sun all day long every day. You can get the starts at garden centers, but also you can grow it from seed. But soil preparation prior to getting the plants or the seed is really crucial. So it has to be in a well-drained soil circumstance. That's, you know, so in other words, you're improving the soil before you put the plants in. And uh, that's really about all. Full sun and 
probably other than within the first, let's say, couple weeks after you plant, if it's if you're buying plants or if you're even buying seeds, once the seed starts germinating, watch out about overwatering. Okay, thank you very much. Yeah, so I mean, they're tough, they're durable, they're wildflowers. But it's just the soil situation. If you just got highly compacted clay soils that has never been improved, I would say don't bother. But you're going to have to improve the soil. So plan on improving the soil. Maybe you can even do it during the wintertime. Find an area probably if you could get one, you know, 20 by 20, that's going to be a good size area. Or even starting off with something smaller, a 10 by 10. Smaller than that, a single plant, you know, it's just it's going to be a little bit difficult for the butterflies to kind of see and be drawn into that. But uh, the plants are great, so good luck with that. And they're called milkweed because the sap in the stems is like white like milk. It's also sticky. So thanks, Richard. Mike Miller, KMOX Garden Hotline, back after these messages. This is the St. Louis Composting Garden Hotline with your host, Mike Miller, on KMOX. Yes, folks, any questions, concerns, or comments, 314-436-7900 or 1-800-925-1120. My concern right now is if you have broadleaf evergreens like azaleas and rhododendrons and things like that, I'm very curious to see if those flower buds actually made it through this cold snap. I mean, this has been brutal. There's years in the past, I can't remember exact temperatures or anything else, where those plants just uh, had some damage to the foliage, but you know, no none of the flower buds survive whatsoever. So, what you can do is you can go out right now and just cut you know a couple branches off your azalea or your rhododendron, and uh, basically bring it inside, put it in a glass of warmer water, and see if the buds actually start opening up. I'm not saying they're going to open up fully. That's chances of that are probably going to be pretty minimal. But just to see if the bud's actually still viable or if it just kind of sits there and just doesn't do anything, that means uh, probably no blooms on your azaleas or rhododendrons this year. So, well, that's just the way it goes. And another thing, too, if you do have any questions, 314-436-7900 or 1-800-925-1120. Here's something you might not know or you probably don't even want to know, but... uh, How water becomes ice. Well, water is just a bunch of tiny molecules that are in motion. And they're going to move faster when the weather is warmer and slower when it's cold. So when the temperature gets below or at 32, they start stopping. So the molecules then just stick together, and that's what forms ice. So that's how it happens. Pretty easy. You know the word molecule. And another thing, too, not related to this whatsoever, but... While uh, we were coming back from the break, my screen went blank. I didn't touch any buttons, I didn't think, but maybe I did. But, but here's just so it shows you how, why I don't touch buttons. I don't even like to touch buttons at home, but I have to, blah, blah, blah. But I have an appointment this coming up Tuesday with a gentleman named Hoffman. And unfortunately, Mr. Hoffman, if you happen to be listening, uh, I deleted all the information related to your home, your everything. So by hitting the button, I <laughs> so that shows you how dumb I actually am. I hit a delete button when I was not even I wasn't paying much attention. So this is a real true story on why I minimize my contact with buttons, even at home. I deleted information. I'm supposed to have an appointment this Tuesday at nine o'clock, 
And Mr. Hoffman, I probably won't be there unless you can contact me and let me know. <laughs> I, I'm clueless. <laughs> it's just crazy. Anyway, let's go to Columbia, Illinois, and see what's going on in Mike's yard. Hi, Mike. Good morning. Thank Hi. you. Taking my call. Sure. When is a good time to trim a magnolia tree and a hop? What was the other one? Pardon? A magnolia tree, and what was the second one? And a, and a holly tree. Oh, holly. Basically, no broadleaf evergreen, unless this is deciduous-type holly. And really, you know, the hollies are going to be spring-flowering regardless of what type they are, early summer. So don't prune those, the holly, until and the magnolia as well, until after they flower. Because if you prune them, unless you're talking about a broadleaf-type holly that blooms in the summertime, that means it blooms on new wood. So in other words, growth the bud, flower bud is actually going to be grown in the springtime and then open up in the summertime. But if it's a spring-blooming you know, magnolia, what happens like a star magnolia, saucer magnolia, those type, the buds are there. You can prune them now, but you know, in reality, you prune them and you're just cutting off the flower buds for next spring. Okay. Well, thank you very much. Yeah. And I'm, again, it's with anything, pruning... I just, you know, I'm always concerned about pruning, you know, when the weather, especially with anything that's evergreen, as the weather is going to get cold, you know, like doing it in the fall or anything, for whatever reason you need to prune it. Even if it's not, a, let's say, a spring flowering plant, let's say a yew or something along that line, what happens you prune it? It's kind of like if you have, you know, longer hair and you get a haircut and the weather starts getting cold, your head is probably going to get colder it's not going to be damaged, but that's what happens when you prune plant material going into the winter time. That, you know, suddenly there's going to be more exposure to some of the plant material, some of the branches, some of the twigs and things like that, because you've cut off stuff. So that's why I really don't like to prune going into winter myself. But uh, personal choice more so than anything else. Other things that you need to be thinking about, get serious. Are you serious about weeds? Well, it's not pre-emergent season yet, but go to your favorite garden center and get a soil thermometer. Soil thermometer, what that does is you just stick it in the ground. It tells you what the soil temperature is. And so if you've had a historic problem with, let's say, some of the warmer season weeds as, a pool, as opposed to the cold season weeds, so like crabgrass, that's a, a good example of a warm season weed. So you start watching the soil temperature. You don't have to worry about it right now. But when things start warming up, when the temperature starts getting above 45, that's when warm season weeds, seeds, these are annual weeds like crabgrass, will start germinating. That's when you need to get your pre-emergent down. So usually it's going to be around the same time the forsythia is in bloom. So that's a good way to remember. And also the cool season weeds, they're out there, they're growing, and you know they're going to be flowering sometime. And they're still going to be producing seeds, so do you get rid of the cool season weeds? So that's like the hen bit and things along that line. Um, you're going to have to put the pre-emergent down in August, weather dependent. So mid to early, early mid late August. So two different times pre-emergents have to go down if you want to do that. Let's go now to the phones. Back to the phones. And Susan lives in St. Louis County. Hi, Susan. Hi. Wondering if you can give me some tips on how to grow red raspberry plants. Uh, raspberries are tough. I mean, they're durable, but uh, 
Again, it's going to be a soil preparation thing before you ever buy them. You can buy them as bare root plants. You can buy them growing in containers. They need to be in full sun, and uh, you're going to probably be a couple years before you're going to get any kind of really fruit production out of them. So well, you know, very improved soil is going to be the best thing for it. So adding compost, a couple inches, mixing in with your existing soil is the best thing to do in a full sunny location. And just, you know, after that, after you get the soil all ready, and what I like to do too, and a lot of people don't want to be this patient, is you've got your soil prepared and just wait for another few months and see how many weed seeds or anything else that's going to come up in here. Get those under control before you start putting plants in that you don't want to have impacted by any kind of herbicide. So well, We already have plants that we've had for years, but they're kind of in part shades. So that might be the issue, but they don't produce very well. Right. And um, I don't know if you prune them and if you stake them. You don't need to stake them. So if they're, if they're leaning over enough where you feel like they have to be staked, they're not getting enough light. Okay. So they're leaning, to, you know, leaning in, you know, in the wrong direction. Okay. So that's probably, and the only time you need to really prune them, let's say, or prune them back is when the canes really get big, but it doesn't sound like yours are very big. They're spindly, right? Yeah. Okay. Thank you so much. Sure. So soil improvements, very sunny location. That's the best things you can do for them. Thank you. All right. And now let's go to... Waterloo, Illinois, and that's where Brad lives. Hi, Brad. Hi, Mike. Uh, first time calling in. I wonder if you could help me out as far as how to put in a moss lawn. Um, live in a densely wooded area, and I'm just giving up on trying to get the grass to grow here. And uh, I noticed a couple years ago when I used peat moss to cover up the grass seed, um, about the next year there seemed to be a lot of moss growth but I don't know if that was coincidence, if that's a treatment that I could use to try and get moss to grow on the rest of the yard. It's a pretty big area, so it wouldn't be feasible to buy the moss online and transplant it. No, you can't buy it online, but what you can do is you can go online and you can actually get moss spores. It comes in like a container, like a milk carton container, and the Botanical Gardens you know, has sold them historically. I don't know if they still have them. But all you need to do is, you know, like what you've already done, you've, you know, acidified the soil with the peat moss, work it into the ground, and just get this, you know, get the moss, you know, the spores, and you know, start off in an area where you can easily get the hose to it so you can keep it damp and just kind of go from there. I mean, there's been people that have even grown moss. I, you know, I sort of pick up pieces and just kind of stick it in between, let's say, uh, sections of sidewalk, you know, where there's an expansion joint or expansion board, and just see if I can get it started there. But the best thing to do is just get this, you know, moss spores. And, again, you can buy it online, and it's, it's dry. So you just, like, sprinkle it around, just follow the instructions on the container. So you do think that the application of the peat moss helped um, the pH levels? Uh, that wasn't a coincidence that moss started growing in those areas? Right, because moss definitely needs – I'm not exactly sure what the pH that it needs – but I think it might be as low as like 6.0 or even like as low as 5.5. So, and if you, you know, in the woods, generally your soil's going to have a more acidic pH, but you're just guaranteeing this, you know, the circumstance to be there. Okay, wonderful. Thank you. Yep. Good luck with that. And like I say, it's, I have not gotten a container and trying to grow it myself, but uh, there has been time, I shouldn't say I haven't. But there's been times where I've gotten a sample from somebody, and uh, actually I grew it on bricks. So you never know. 
Mike Miller, KMR's Garden Hotline, back after these messages. Welcome back to the St. Louis Composting Garden Hotline with Mike Miller, sponsored by Allen's Tree Service on KMOX. Yes, folks, any questions, concerns, comments, 314-436-7900 or 1-800-925-1120. So uh, other things that you need to be maybe thinking about, uh, the birds. Don't buy cheap bird seed. Cheap bird seed is cheap for a reason. That's because it doesn't have really good lot, let's say, a lot of good quality seed. Most of it's just filler that most of the birds will just rake off into the ground. And that's just an invitation for other problems, let's say squirrels coming in or something else. Squirrels don't seem to matter, don't seem to mind. But to buy the higher quality seed, and a lot of the birds have very specific type of seed they would prefer, whether it be, doesn't matter, sunflowers, whether it be thistle, whatever it happens to be, and uh, just go with that. If you're trying to bring in a, you know, a very specific kind of bird, find out what kind of seed it likes and start from there. So that's very easy to do. As I said before, the cheaper seed just has a high percentage of fillers. The birds go, ew, and they rake it out, or they just simply bypass it and say, no thanks. And uh, that's an invitation not only from squirrels, but also for starlings and things that, you know, those ugly birds that are always hanging out together that have really short tails. There's always big packs of them. Anyway, let's head out to Cedar Hill and go into Rick's yard. Hi, Rick. Go on, Mike. Hi. Hey, I'm uh, I'm one to overseed my lawn here sometime in spring. When uh, when should I start doing that? Don't do it too soon because if the ground is still cold, the seed is not going to germinate. So consequently. The seed could, you know, we have hard rains or something else, or the seed could germinate. We get a cold spell. And uh, so wait until the soil temperature is above like 50 or 55 degrees. So get a soil thermometer and, go, you know, find out that way. Okay, that's great. And when you do it, you know, make sure that, bef- you know, cut your, I don't know what kind of lawn you have or what kind of seed you're putting down, but cut your lawn first and get a seed starter type fertilizer because that's going to be to the advantage of your seed. I just got Jefferson County weeds right now. We just bought a home recently. So, uh. so yeah, I mean, if you want to try to get some of the weeds under control, there's not too much you can do as far as herbicides this time of year. But uh, if you're going to you know, put the seed down and the seed germinates, let it get well established before you put any kind of weed killer down. Because even broadleaf weed killers can have a, a major impact on newly germinated seeds. So in other words, grass seed that is less than a couple months old. So just be cautious of doing that. All righty. Uh, thank you for the help. Yep. And a core aeration first, that would certainly be to the advantage of the seed. Ideally, if you're going to do it, Let's say you're really serious about this. You're going to have somebody come out with a core aerator, and that's going to be a machine that takes, let's say, soil plugs out of the ground like this wine bottle wine bottle cork size. Then you're going to put the seed down. Then you're going to put like a half inch or a quarter inch or so of compost on top of that. That's the best way to go about doing it rather than just scattering the seed because scattering the seed is not going to uh, – Percentage-wise, germination is going to be somewhat limited. So good luck with that, Rick. And uh, anybody else with questions, 314-436-7900 or 1-800-925-1120. Speaking of lawns, stay off your lawn when it's this cold. Because actually, when it's even just frosted, when it's not this cold, the crown of the plant, that's where the blades and the root systems meet, 
when you're walking on it, you can actually do some damage by just the compaction, compression, the weight of you on the crowns of the plants. So you may end up, especially if you go back and forth, let's say, from your house to the garage, detached garage, obviously, and uh, there's not a pathway or any stepping stones or anything, you could really do uh, pretty much kill off the grass, that, even if you had successful grass there. So stay off that completely as much as possible. So just be cautious of that. And uh, with this crazy weather that we've had, also realize that there are two types of fungus on lawns, and uh, the snow mold is one of them. And just take a look. If you start to see areas like in cool-season lawns that uh, you know should be green this time of year, the fescues and bluegrasses, if you start to see areas that look pale or bleached out or something like that, get down and take a look at the grass, individual grass blades and see if they look slimy, matted, and uh, if they have any kind of pinkish tone to them. That's not going to be a solid pink area, but just... You know, a couple of them are going to be, you know, let's see, prone or susceptible to actually showing this pink stuff. And favorable conditions for these winter fungus problems is temperatures 32 to 45, so with higher humidity. So consequently, right now, you're probably not going to have it, but it's going to be warm by Wednesday. And then there's also, besides the pink snow mold, there's the gray snow mold, which does, you know, not require necessarily snow cover, but we've had the snow cover, and it's just going to be sort of random color of gray on the blades and straw brown patches. In uh, you know, yeah, it's not going to be it's it's going to be you know problematic, and it does you know for it to actually trigger as far as growth with this mold, it does require some snow, and we did have enough snow probably to cause that. So just look out very cautiously. And again, don't waste your money or your time by spreading grass seed out during snow cover. It was just like the gentleman I talked to earlier. Putting grass seed out too early, that just means it's, you know, I don't know where that old, let's say, wife's tail or whatever it was or uncle's tail or something, where they said throw grass seed out in the snow and then it'll have much better chance of germinating. No, not necessarily. Because... It's cold. It's not going to germinate until the weather warms up, until the ground warms up, and we get all kinds of rains and everything else before that happens potentially, and the seed could just end up who knows where. So it could, you know, it won't be worth your time and or effort whatsoever. So don't waste your money or your efforts, you know, to spread grass seed out when it's too cold, when there's snow on the ground, or not. Just you know, use, be smart about it. I mean. It's just, uh, don't, uh, I mean, the garden centers don't even necessarily, probably don't want you to sell, you know, don't want you to do it anyway because it's going to not be that good for your plant material. Let's go to Peggy in Overland. Peggy, how are you today? Oh, got some trouble. Trouble here in paradise. Yeah, Peggy, go ahead. And all the... Water came down into my yard. Now I have an ice rink in my yard. And I was wondering if that would hurt my plants, like my hostas, my grass. We didn't I mean, get it's like four inches thick. Oh, we didn't get to hear the first part of your question. So, what was the first part? Uh, if it, if this ice, which is three to four inches thick, Ooh. any of my my plants, like my hostas, uh, my grass. 
Uh, your lawn, I'd be a little bit concerned with because, you know, when this melts, it's going to really saturate the soil. But for the most part, ice can actually be an insulator. That's why they build igloos. So because yeah. it can, you know, but uh, once it melts, that's where the problems could come in. Now, if your soil had been improved, you know, where the hosses were, that's great. They're probably not going to have any damage on those. Your lawn areas, that might be a little bit different, especially if we, you know, once this ice starts melting, if we have rain in close proximity to that, we could have some damage due to the root or to the root systems of your lawn area. So that would be my only concern with, you know, with that. And where did this water come from? Uh, my neighbor's house. Oh. Water street, and I live downhill from them, so it all came into my yard. Right. So consequently, there's not too much I can do. I mean, it would be no. gr- you know great if they didn't. I don't know if they have just sort of the classic downspouts, which just shoots the water. If they could kind of you know modify that just a little bit, which you know, I mean, that's asking them an awful lot to do. But uh, oh, the, you've probably right. had a history of this is happening before, so. I, your, like I said, your perennials are probably fine. The lawn would be a concern. Yeah. Okay. I'll try and chop it off the lawn when it gets a warmer. Right. <laughs> don't, no, don't go out. Don't go out and chop on the ice. Don't do that. So just, yeah, just leave it alone. Let it melt on its own. There's nothing you can do. And that's, it's sort of like we haven't had any ice storms yet, but they're talking about potentially ice storm on Sunday. If you do get ice and we do get ice, and it gets on your plant materials, let's say your evergreens, your ewes, your junipers, or anything at all, boxwood, azaleas. Don't knock any ice off. Don't knock any snow off. Physically, you can do way more damage by doing that than just letting the ice, let's say, melt on its own. Yes, there could be some breakage due to the weight, but uh, you're better off to have that you know, circumstance as opposed to beating on your plant material. Mike Miller, KMOX Garden Hotline. I will be back after the news. The Voice of St. Louis, News Radio 1120, KMOX, KMOX HD, St. Louis, 102.5 KEZK, HD3, St. Louis. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance, too, with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law.